0: Okay, Alistair, it's all yours. Thank you. I must say, having a, a Zoom meeting, it's much easier to start on time because all it does Greg because he meets you all and there's silence, and I can start and welcome you all to this meeting this morning. So, a very warm welcome and a very lovely day outside, and look forward to seeing what God might do with us today. Um, Jeff's going to be doing the words for us today, uh, Rob's going to be leading some sung worship, uh, Greg will be speaking to us. Last weekend, it was tears since we prayed the Munger family on their way to Tanzania. Um, this weekend marks the 10th anniversary of the occasion, the occasion when Sue and I were prayed into leadership of this church. So you'll have to forgive me today for speaking somewhat reflectively and personally, as I've been looking back over that period in my own thought and prayer this past week. A whole lot has happened in that 10-year period. We're all 10 years older, uh, and some of us look it, some don't. We've lost some wonderful people who are now in God's presence. We've had some wonderful people join us, uh, and we've done some controversial stuff. We've made quite a lot of changes when I look back over that period of time. Uh, and we focused on the community outside the church in new and exciting ways. I also, I don't know about you, but I certainly wish I knew 10 years ago what I know now. I could have done it a lot better. But God has been immensely faithful to us in that time. Uh, and we've grown. Uh, I've been leading this church for 10 years, but I've been part of it for 28 And before that, we were in a church that was also, at least for a time, part of the Salton Light family of churches for a further 12 years. We brought up our children here. We've had good times and bad times alongside many of you. And we've been supported by the church in both good times and bad. This morning, I want to underline an aspect of our church life from the letter to the Ephesians. Next time, I speak, I'll look at something else that comes up in this same passage. Because the church isn't the way it is by accident. There are aspects of our culture uh, and the way we are that some of us have worked at over decades and which we hold to be very important, in fact, fundamental to being the church. And it's not just nostalgia or fixed ideas that makes them important. It's theology rooted in scripture. I'm going to read a passage in a moment. It's a passage of scripture on which most of the so-called new churches built much of their thinking about the church in the 1970s and the 1980s. About 30 years ago, you would hear this passage preached on regularly. Uh, And on Friday, I realised I haven't ever spoken on it which means I haven't set out some fundamental ideas about what it means to us to be the church. I'm going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians is often referred to as the letter of the church, as it sets out so much of what the church is for, how it's to work and where it's heading. It's a very important book of the Bible. In fact, verses 9 to 10 of chapter 1, in my view, set out the eternal purpose of God in two sentences. In fact, we might go back and do a series on the whole book at some point, as I feel I've probably been a bit remiss in not doing so. I've probably reacted to the fact that Ephesians was over-preached for many years, um, and I've probably fallen into the opposite trap of under-preaching it. But today, I'm only going to focus on one aspect of this section. So I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 4, verses one to 16 i'm just going to put it up on your screens now as a prisoner for the lord then i urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received be completely humble and patient and gentle sorry be patient bearing with one another in love make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Amen. What I'm going to look at today is the subject of the so-called Ephesians 4 ministries. Uh, Next time I'm going to look at the idea of the church as being relational rather than organizational, both of which are to us fundamental aspects of church. I'm going to look though first of all at these four if these five Ephesians four ministries apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers and evangelists. Too much focus in my view over the years has gone on the charismatic and supernatural aspects of these and not enough on their purpose. I'm not going to get into a debate here about whether they're for today, I personally believe they are, but I do want to adjust our emphasis. We too often look at verse 11 um, and try and find ourselves in that list without looking at verses 12 and 13, which tell us what these gifts of Jesus to the church are for. They are, it says, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The purpose of these ministry gifts is for the building up of the body of Christ, not the aggrandizement or the status of those who have them, not for developing careers, but for equipping the saints so that the church is mature. We don't have time to look at them all in detail this morning. In fact, sometime I might go through and look at them one at a time. I'm just going to quickly skirt over each of them and then say a few words. Uh, And then I'm going to tell you the story of the first major Christian leadership lesson I ever learned. So first of all, apostles. I'm not going to get into a debate about whether apostles are for today, because I believe that apostolic ministry is more needed today than it ever has been. Um, that's not to say that I accept that everyone going around calling themselves an apostle is an apostle, just as they weren't in Paul's day. The word apostle means sent one. And in the early church, the mantle of apostleship moved on from those who'd been with Jesus to include Matthias, who replaced Judas after his death, and Paul. We don't know if there were others or not, despite all the ink that gets spilled on that topic. But the important thing about the early apostles is that they weren't spiritual area managers, but were sent out from the churches to extend the reach of the gospel and to plant churches in new territories. Paul, Peter and Philip are particularly in the book of Acts recorded as doing that. Apostolic ministry pushes boundaries It constantly seeks to expand the reach of the gospel. It plants churches among sectors of the community or in communities where the gospel hasn't reached. It is always looking beyond where it is at present, never resting with how things are now, always looking for what's next. Where does this lead? And when an apostle goes home from a church gathering The questions they're asking are, where's it leading? What are the opportunities for growth? What can we do next? Can't they see that there's so much more than this? That's why I would say we need apostolic ministry more than ever. The second ministry gift that Paul talks about in this passage is the prophets. Prophets also tend to be restless people. Biblically, A prophet is not a person who foretells the future, primarily. The Old Testament prophets didn't primarily foretell the future, although it was part of what they did. Their main role was to call God's wandering people back to faithful living, to point out where the nation was going wrong and to call them back to living faithfully to their covenant with God. Prophets are not primarily people who say, I have a picture of, um, although that is an expression of prophetic gift. They tend to be concerned with holiness, prayer and worship. They're primarily concerned with the heart of God and what God is saying to his people here and now. They get frustrated when they see people claiming to be Christians but living inconsistently or simply as cultural Christians. They'll often latch on to a single verse of scripture and draw meaning out of that one verse, which can be both a strength and a weakness and drives teachers mad. They will call people back to the calling and what God has said in the past. I find with those in our church who are more prophetic, they will often remember something they feel God said years ago that I have long since completely forgotten and didn't even particularly register at the time. They will expect people to pay careful attention to what they say, and they can become discouraged and cynical when they don't. When a prophet goes home from a church gathering, they're asking, Did we hear what God was saying? Did we experience God's presence this morning? Was God's spirit able to speak or was the spirit of God quenched? They tend, or some prophets are quite black and white and don't see things in shades of grey. Things are either good or they're bad, they're right or they're wrong, and they get frustrated, particularly by pastors who delight to work in the grey areas. Their passion tends to be to see God move by his spirit. I they also see very clearly the way ahead and have insight into where things are leading in a way that people like me absolutely don't. I personally don't have a prophetic bone in my body. Um, pastors are the ones everybody loves except prophets and evangelists because Pastors are concerned with the well-being of God's people. They want everybody to be happy. They want everybody to be cared for. They want them all to be looked after. They care for them. They love them. They're happy to spend hours listening to them and will keep on working with someone long after they've become a lost cause. They'll happily pray with you and probably offer to. They're happy to work in shades of grey. Pastors generally... Tend to be happy to work with someone who is not living a life that um, necessarily would be that um, outwardly righteous let's say they don't generally see things in terms of black and white they are looking for someone to be on a journey of discipleship and the questions a pastor is asking when they go home on a Sunday morning are who was missing who was were people treated well this morning Why was so-and-so looking so unhappy today? They are primarily concerned with individuals and what's happening in the lives of those individuals. We are blessed in this church that we do have a number of really great pastoral people. And then the next one he talks about is teachers. Teachers are concerned with biblical truth. They can be dogmatic they can be insistent on their interpretation, and they tend to be quite orderly in their thinking. They organise their thoughts about scripture and tend to think logically and rationally. They stick closely to scripture in their teaching. They are concerned for God's people to be drawn into the whole story of what God is doing in his world. They have an aversion to proof texting, to ripping a single verse out of context. They love scripture. They can err on the side of not relying on the Holy Spirit, but leaning on their own understanding. And they're usually good communicators. When a teacher goes home after church, their only question really is, was God's word preached well today? If the answer to that is no, they feel like they've wasted the morning. They tend to frustrate pastors with their dogmatism uh, and they frustrate evangelists with their focus on things that evangelists consider to be irrelevant. Which brings me to evangelists. Evangelists are concerned with the proclamation of the gospel. They make it a priority to spend as much time as possible with unbelievers. They can shock particularly prophets by the sort of company they keep. They love challenges to respond to the gospel, altar calls and moments when people are called to commit their lives to Christ. They will stir up and equip the rest of us to be involved in evangelism. They love telling about people about Jesus and can't understand those who find it difficult to do so. They have little interest in internal church matters or theological niceties They can sometimes be unconcerned about what happens after people become Christians, although most modern evangelists are far more concerned about being more integrated. When an evangelist goes home from a church gathering, they're asking, was the gospel preached today? Were people challenged to respond? Why did the preacher go on about theological niceties instead of the gospel? Those are the kind of questions an evangelist comes up with. I no, I won't I won't tell you that story. Some of you have heard it before. So I'm just going to try and draw some of this together now. So these gifts actually all complement one another when they work together or when they work well together. When they do work well together, the church is equipped and built up. When they don't, we end up with an incredibly unbalanced church. I want to tell you the story of the first big lesson. I ever learned about church leadership and then draw some thoughts from that as it affects us. When I first became a Christian in 1973, 1974, Sue and I were part of quite a remarkable youth group in North London. We used to have about 70 young people and we met on a Friday and Sunday evening for worship and Bible study, on Saturday nights for social activities, and on Monday evenings about 10 or a dozen of us got together to pray every week for about five years. Sue and I were both part of that group who prayed. We saw people becoming Christians most weeks and we saw some remarkable transformations in people's lives. It was mainly led by the young people themselves with some oversight from a team of adults. I was about 18 at the time And for some reason that I've never understood, I was a brand new Christian, I was appointed an assistant leader. Um, I think it's because I was the only one who didn't go to university. So uh, I was the one left behind in a sense. But it meant I met with these adult leaders every week. And in that group, we had one leader who was desperately keen that the one thing we needed to do with the youth group was to get them evangelising. I remember on one occasion he got a load of us to sit on seats on the top of a double-decker bus, one on each double seat, uh, so that anyone who went upstairs on that bus would have to sit down next to someone who would evangelise them. Another leader was really concerned that our youth weren't ready for that and needed to be nurtured and cared for and developed so that eventually they would be able to. And then we had another one who felt really strongly that until we got them, thoroughly soaked in the Bible, familiar with it, reading and studying it for themselves. We really shouldn't be doing anything else with them at all. And then there was another who was most insistent that before any of that, they needed to spend time in the presence of God, worshipping and learning to hear his voice. And eventually this group of leaders became so fractious with one another that the whole thing broke up. And their relationships with one another soured. And the tragedy here is that all of them were right. Each of them was being faithful to the gifting that God had placed within them. The truth was that we needed to be doing all of the things that they saw needed to be done. We had an evangelist. We had a pastor. We had a teacher and a prophetic person. But they could only see what their own gift revealed and couldn't see that all of these gifts needed to be brought to bear together. In reality, most of us have a combination of these giftings to a greater or lesser degree. There are very few people who are pure pastor, pure prophet, or, or whatever. And very few of us, as so I've just said that, So I think, for example, I don't like using myself as an example, but I think I'm an example, a combination of pastor and teacher. I don't really have prophetic leanings at all. And I just don't get prophetic people. If I'm honest, I'm also an evangelistic disaster area. Uh, I can remember on one occasion we um, in when we were in Watford, we we had I think it was Luis Palau, who's a world famous evangelist, came to Watford Town Hall. And all of us who led groups in the church were called upon to be counsellors at this big evangelistic rally we were having. Uh, So I was stood up the front there at the end as people responded to the altar call and three people were allocated to me to come and I was supposed to lead them through a prayer of commitment, uh, get their contact details for follow-up and then pray for them and bless them on their way. Well, of all the people there, The three who came up to me all decided that they weren't going to become Christians after all. Uh, And these are people who've just responded to a world famous evangelist. Um, So I just evangelistically, I am a disaster area in that sort of context. And we do have to understand our own gifting. In the local church, if we only have pastoral people, we'll never reach out. If we only have evangelists, we'll never bring anyone to maturity and so on. And when we look for a new leader for a church in BCCs, Basingstoke Community Churches, we normally consider fairly carefully what the gift mix of that individual is and what the gift mix of the other people and the leaders in the church looks like. If we're appointing an evangelist who will grow the church, who's going to care for it? If we're appointing someone pastoral, how will we press the church out into the wider world so that it grows? If we're appointing a prophetic person, who's going to look after the day-to-day routine details? And if we're appointing someone apostolic, who's going to stay behind and manage the shop? We need access to all of these areas of gifting. Hugh was smiling there because he was one of those who were left behind to manage the shop at one point in life. Um, We need access to all these areas of gifting and where we don't have it we need to draw on it from elsewhere. Each of us needs to recognize with a bit of spiritual self-awareness that our own gift isn't the only one that's needed and no church leader embodies all of these gifts. If we look for someone who has all of them we will put incredible pressure on that person and they will fail. Um, but these ministry gifts are for the building up of the church and we do need to see all of them operating freely cooperatively and in relationship to one another not competing with and struggling against one another so the challenge for each of us i think as we look at our future as a church is to understand our own gifts and calling in god that's partly why we run things like the Shape Course. Work with others who have different gifts to see God's plans for us as a church worked out uh, and to recognise the gifts and strengths of others and to honour God's gifting within them. It's only as we bring these giftings together that we will see the, see all those things that the giftings are designed to do, the equipping, the building up, the maturity. It's only as we see all of them working together that we will ever see the church grow to maturity and to become the fullness of all it should be in Jesus. So I'd encourage each of us, first of all, to be aware of our own gifting, and we will at some stage rerun the Shape course to help those of you who, who want to do some more work on that. But also to be thinking about how can I be encouraged in the areas in which God has gifted me by connecting with others who have similar gifts? It's been great to see some of our prophetic people begin to get together. Um, and then finally, how do I work together with people whose gifts are completely different from mine uh, in order to make sure that we bring the fullness of all that God has for his church to bear not just um, a one-wheeled wagon, so to speak. So I'm just going to pray, then I'll hand back to Alastair, if that's okay. I apologise for being a bit personal and reflective this morning, but um, as I said, it's a kind of, for me, a, a notable morning. Let's just pray. Father, we, we do want to thank you that you have placed so many gifted people within our body. And Lord, we do want to pray that you will bring each of our gifts to bear in your mission in this church and through this church. Lord, we, we do want to thank you for those we have who are pastoral, for those we have who are, who are prophetic, for those we have who teach, for those who are more entrepreneurial and perhaps apostolic, uh, and for those who are concerned with reaching out to those outside the church. Lord, we want to pray that each of us will be able to use those gifts while recognising that the gifts of others are valid and important as well. Uh, and Lord, will you preserve us from abdicating our responsibility to, to others when we say, that's simply not my gift. Lord, will you help us to, to work within our gifts um, while being, uh, allowing ourselves to be stretched in you day by day and week by week. But Lord, I do want to pray for this church, that we will be built up through the use of these gifts so that we do attain the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ as your expression of the body of Christ locally here. Lord, will you be with us, we pray. Amen.